Sorry. That's pretty much all I got going. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. That's always. If there's one thing I've heard in uh, media production, it's man, get on that dextrotryptophan. Nah, I don't know. What medicine is. Say, is that a real prescription? I wouldn't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's like the first part of Robitussin and then the back half of Turkey. Like I think it all. I think it all <laughs> comes together. And honestly, if you gave me some Robitussin followed by some turkey, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't give a fuck anymore. Like, that that would be a solid. They, not, they gotta get I think on that's that. how we do, I'm pretty sure that's how we do lethal injections in Kentucky. Uh, anyway. Honestly, makes sense, yeah. I've been Are recording all of this. I've been recording all for the last, like, oh, 50 okay. seconds. I have yeah. too. No, this is uh, happening. Yeah, no, we're doing this. Welcome to the Cock and Bull podcast. Uh, this is a weekly comedy history podcast. I have wet laundry to take care of after this. Nathan. I, How you doing? I'm suddenly craving turkey, and everyone in my neighborhood has put up those sweet LED lights that flash on the side of their house. So, sitting in the the cockpit of the Chevy Malibu, where where we canonically know I record this, is is very much a like LED experience right now for me. So, a, a nice electrolyte orchestra. It is very much like I have gone to the planetarium and I'm about to see some Pink Floyd synced up to some weird, weird LED lights. Uh, by the way, I'm Spencer Faust. I'm still getting in the hang of. Remembering that my name is never mentioned on this podcast. I'm going to put it in the thumbnail at this rate if I just keep forgetting it this Honestly, much. honestly, I think at some point we just need to scream our names and then have that inserted randomly throughout. My name's Nathan Faust and I'm sitting in a car in a driveway screaming like a crazy person. All right. You ready for this? Always. March 10th, 1928. James Ray was born to his parents Lucille and George Ray in Alton, Illinois. And as if it weren't punishing enough to be born in Alton, Illinois, he was born into a very poor family, James being the oldest child. Uh, his father was a petty criminal, but he tried to make his best career out of it. <clears throat> oh, so a career petty criminal. Nothing nothing says better <laughs> criminal like, let's just try and keep not getting caught. I feel like the fact that he's known as a petty criminal means he didn't do well at it, because otherwise we just don't know. The family moved to Bowling Green, Missouri, uh, when James was two years old. But when George was caught and arrested for forgery, they bailed him out and moved again. So that's fun, living your life on the lam as a as a small boy. God, does part of you not just like, man, wasn't it so easy? Like, I feel like we had that with Mesmer, too. Like, shit went bad, cool, move. Like, there was no consequences for anything back then. It was just, you moved. At what point did that change? When when did it no longer become a viable option to just ah, run away? Man, I think it was America's Funniest Home Video. No, America's Most Wanted. America's Funniest Home Video is a whole different thing. Did you almost say America's I Funniest Home Videos? I absolutely did. And honestly, I don't think I don't think it's wrong. I think the two are connected. I I'll, I'll find <laughs> out that that multiverse is real, and I'll I'll figure it Once out. Once they gave Bob Saget a, a platform for for an almost game show, he had access to a lot of tools Shit, that the CIA Saget just wasn't that ready one, to he? open up. Man. Yeah, who was the other guy, though? Uh, but wait, are, are we talking about America's Funniest Home Wanted? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mark, I think Tom uh, no. Bergeron, Tom Bergeron is, or I don't know how you pronounce his name. He's on Dancing with the Stars, which my wife watches. Uh, hi, Sarah, you'll never listen to this. Uh, so, <laughs> other than that, no, I know very little about, about the America's Most Wanted Funniest Videos connection. Well, anyway, I feel like we got off onto a bit of a tangent, just slightly. Now, up next was Ewing, Missouri. I'm not positive that that is a town, uh, because I'm pretty sure it's a vehicle in Star Wars. Uh, now, this is a little town just across the river from Quincy, Illinois. Uh, there, the Ray family had bought a 60-acre plot of arid, terrible farmland. Well, now, hold on, because I'm going to go ahead and say that was a poor decision on their part. When I'm looking for my farmland, I'm not, sword I'm not going and filtering by, find me the arid and bad stuff. I don't know, maybe they were trying to flip it. 
Ah, that flip that farm. All right, I like this. I like this. Now is that this like a dust part- bowl era farm? Is this, I, I imagine a grapes of wrath situation. It is the late twenties, so that's very. Oh, likely. it is very grapes of wrathy. Ewing was part of Lewis County, an area so poor and so white that the KKK couldn't help but take advantage of it. <laughs> God, I was wondering where that was going, and now it's now- delightful. Thank God. Now, if, if you're not familiar with the origins of the clan. They started out as a social club meant to yank money out of the pockets of dumb poor people. Uh, they liked to burn crosses and harass the neighborhood minorities, sure, but their strength was tricking the rich and poor alike into giving them as much cash as possible, uh, which was basically, it was all just basically a clubhouse for racists. Uh, so like the NRA. Uh, yeah. I recommend listening to the Dollops episode on the KKK in Oregon. I don't remember which number one it is, but, I mean, if you're listening to this, you've probably listened to them before. I was about to say, let's be uh, honest, if you just heard about the Dollop on this podcast, how who the fuck are you and where have you been? How did you use a podcast app and get here first? And if you're our grandmother, <laughs> I'm so, so terribly sorry. We are better <laughs> than race. this. We know it. I'm sorry. The race quickly latched onto the clan's toxic beliefs, and it shaped James growing up. It wasn't the racism that bogged down his childhood, though, because that was just icing on the cake. As a young boy, he suffered from frequent nightmares, bedwetting, and stuttering. Uh, I feel like if he started lighting some fires, we'd have a serial killer trifecta on our hands. We'll see where this is going. James was also a filthy child, (laughs) almost never bathing, and owning just a few set of ragged clothes. (laughs) Fucking, we have a full-on pig pen. This is great. One of his teachers actually wrote in his report card that he was repulsive looking. You can't- No! No! You- Oh! Oh, poor James. Oh. The the 30s were such a good time for raising kids, I feel. I just imagine, like, visible stink lines coming off this kid. I mean, when you could just write home that your kid's a fuck ugly, go home, quit, you failed. (laughs) What was the goal could, there? What was what were you sending that home for? What were you hoping that would fix? Perhaps shaming the parents into bathing him, but I, ah, I don't know. I Dad's mean, probably busy robbing grocery stores. Yeah, yeah. Mom is drinking to forget. <laughs> uh, alcohol was an issue, speaking of which, for James and his family. Uh, taking after his dad, James began drinking, brawling in bars, and pickpocketing at age 14. I was about to say, at what crim- at what ludicrously young age did he begin these habits? Honestly, 14 kind of feels not terrible for the time. I kind of was expecting you to tell me he was like 8 and just like looked like Popeye. I'm pretty sure the legal drinking age in Illinois is about 7 years old, at yeah. least back in the oh 30s. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, dear. I mean, if you live <laughs> if you live anywhere in that East St. Louis, Illinois borderline, you start drinking at 8 and you don't look back. <laughs> at 14 years old, he had a small job running errands for a whorehouse. Okay, all right. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a nice he's got a resume that uh, I as a 14-year-old would be bragging about. Ah, uh, yeah. The proprietress fired him when he was caught stealing a customer's pants. Wait, well, okay, part, we got a couple things we need to unravel there. One, is the uh-huh. female version of a proprietor a proprietress? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, I learned something. That's rare. Yeah, uh, it's a little vocab lesson. That's fantastic. So is that, like, the equivalent of Mauve off of, uh, Maeve off of Westworld? Is she a proprietress of yes. the whorehouse? Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. All right, good, good. I can use that word in context and feel smart now. Uh, <laughs> and secondly, what the fuck? He stole their pants. Why? Like to keep, because uh, obviously they must have been bigger than him. It's not a bunch of fourteen-year. It's not like a fourteen-year-old brothel. Why did he steal a man's pants? <laughs> I'm assuming it's because he didn't have any pants. I mean, like, we, I, there was a sentence earlier that he owned only like a few sets of rags, 
and I think he saw a pair of jeans, and he was like, I'm going to grow into those someday. His first run-in with the police was for stealing someone's newspaper and attempting to sell it back to someone. Not the pants. Not the pants. He got busted for secondhand newspaper, but he got let off with a warning on the pants theft? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Madam of the whorehouse, I guess, wasn't willing to get the cops involved. That makes sense. A disgusting little black market paper boy, by the way. That's where he's at at 14. (laughs) He's like a worse version of the Newsies. Now, the cops let him off with a warning, and Ray very briefly set himself straight with a job at a shoe company in St. Louis. Uh, Now, by the end of World War II, so he's in, like, his late 20s at this rate. Oh, Uh, By the end of World War II, they fired him. What? I am assuming. Jackass. Well, I'm assuming... I'm assuming that was to give jobs to veterans who actually, like, needed the job as opposed to a filthy rat man who peddles shoes. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, come on now. Everyone's got to have a job. But... Yeah, sure, sure. But, like, I don't want the rat man fitting leather on my feet. Oh, I mean, you're not wrong. And now I'm just picturing him like th- kind of like the penguin, but for rats. <laughs> that scent wafts up is my point. You know, I don't want him sizing my feet. Yeah. Now, feeling lost. Ray thought that his life might have been doomed to poverty or prison. Uh, There was, however, a light at the end of the tunnel, a place where all anti-socialites of all creed and color are welcome. The U.S. Army. Oh, good. Wait, didn't we just end World War II? What what the fuck? He waited until we got done? Uh, If you think about it, isn't that what you would do? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying he's not a smart man. I'm just saying I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out what he was doing in the... Like, I feel like Uncle Sam was trying to get some people for World War II. Like... If there was a good time to be in a soldier in the United States, it was when you could go punch Nazis. Like, dear Lord, there, that was the peak. We peaked right there. Let's put a cork in the Nazi discussion real quick, because Uh-oh. with the war over, Ray wasn't exactly thrown into the front lines where his instability might have been practical. Uh, instead, Ray was stationed in post-war Germany. In the fatherland, Ray had a hard time avoiding the same things that made him an asshole in America. He found himself infatuated with the now-destroyed Nazi party, and he was obsessed with the country's bustling black market. <sighs> I just... Oh, God. All right. So we've got a got black market Nazi boy. This is good. This this won't this won't end poorly. Those are two interests that I look for on anybody's eHarmony profile. Believe it or not, though, it was neither of those things that managed to screw it all up for him. Uh, in December 1948, James was discharged for drunken misconduct and, quote, general ineptitude. <laughs> God, it's like the report card all over again. No, no. I don't imagine the army has a box under the discharge list for smells really bad. Yeah, just stinks. How bad do you have to be to get kicked out of the army? And like, well, I guess 48, we were winding down. They probably didn't need as many guys. All right. So what, they just like kick him out in Germany or do they like send him back home? Oh, they sent him home. Oh, good. So back in the U.S., Ray moved to Chicago to start a job at a rubber company. Now, before the year was up, uh, Ray ran off to California and was arrested on a three-month sentence for burglary. Okay, all right. I'm not going to lie. So here's the thing. Uh, We're roughly 15 minutes into this. Uh, Now, I'm sure this will be, you know, shorter into it for the listening public who won't sit through the five-minute rant I had about Tom Bergeron and... The guy from America's Most Wanted having a love child. You can't child. acknowledge it, Nathan. It's hard to did. remove. I just did. I just did. You have to keep it in now. Uh, continuity. But what the fuck is going on with this guy? Like, we talked about finger banging with hypnotism. We've talked about uh, crazy, feeble-minded people. And I, I, am, I am trying to figure out where this poor dirt hobo is going to fit into this timeline. You know, this is going to be one of our longer ones. Okay. Uh, I believe... Oh. 
sure. just before this one was our next longest one. That was that was McDowell. We released McDowell before this one. Oh, did we? So, oh uh, man. Oh, okay. All right, people. You know. Yeah. So you know what's up. So, so strap in. This is another long one. All right. <clears throat> now they put him in jail for ninety days. Uh, in nineteen fifty-two, he committed an armed robbery in Chicago, landing him a two-year sentence. And then in nineteen fifty-five, he committed a federal crime by robbing a post office in Leavenworth, Kansas. Leavenworth. So now we've got you know like three or four big crimes under his belt at this rate. Oh, Leavenworth. Leavenworth, like the prison. Is it any shock to you? It's not, but as someone that's now gone and listened back to it and thought of all the times I need to scream at you, I'm just trying to save you from the internet screaming at you. <laughs> Now, I've only gone over a few of his bigger busts, and you'll notice that there's a few years between each of these incidents. Um, you'll also notice that he keeps making giant leaps across the country with each one, and that's because Ray was kind of on, like, a cross-country grifting tour, uh, and every time, it's like a Guy Fieri, but he's just fucking people over. <laughs> How is that any different than regular Guy Fieri? But that's not the point, ha <laughs> ha. Take that, Fieri. I'm glad we're finally standing up to Mr. Fieri. I mean, somebody fucking needs to. The guy has like eight shows, and I'm pretty sure he's a hobo. Not that there's anything wrong with that. The homeless problem is a serious problem in America, but if you're on trains, eh, you're hobos and it's fun. But his car has flames on it. I think he's probably doing better as than do, some of us. As do all of his shirts. That doesn't make him a good person. I think he's just trying to illustrate that time's flying for him. I, yeah, yeah, the... Time, time sure flew when I frosted my tips. I, I remember that. <laughs> These aren't all high-profile crimes, by the way. Uh, we're talking about, like, cab robberies, stealing money orders out of the mail. That one's one he actually did. Wow. And my favorite thing on his rap sheet, typewriter theft from Los <laughs> Angeles. What the fuck is he stealing a typewriter for? The guy can't read. Let, let's be, he can't write. <laughs> what is he stealing it for? Is he just, I guess, flipping it like he was trying to flip the newspaper? It all goes back. Also, thanks to trendy douchebags, I believe typewriter theft is once again a valid crime in Los Angeles. <laughs> the entire area of Silver Lake is just wrapped with typewriter theft. Ugh. On more than one occasion, Ray fled to foreign countries to get the heat off him. Uh, throughout his criminal career, he'd spend time in Canada, Portugal, England, and, of course, Mexico. How the fuck right. is this guy getting... What is he doing? Like, how is he getting all over the country? If I wanted to right now, gun to my head, I couldn't get to Portugal. And this guy's doing it in, like, 1950? What the hell? Ah, it was a different time. And I can't explain how. You say uh, that, I think it should just... be easier for me to get to Portugal. And yet, I'm not gonna get to go hang out with Cristiano Ronaldo anytime soon. It was in Mexico, in the mid-50s, when Ray was on the lam, that he tried his hand at being a porn director. Jesus, you have got... No. That is whiplash. You cannot just no. One, why? When director? We don't. Do we have talkies? What year is this? Mid fifties, I said. Oh, this is some weird. Believe it to Beaver porn that we're dealing with, and I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Under the fake name Eric Starvo Galt, he mail ordered some. Let's talk Dude. about how good he is at his fake name oh, game. Come the fuck on, Eric, guy from that bad and ran book. Yeah, let's go. His, he mail-ordered some camera equipment from a few catalogs and conscripted the help of several prostitutes to make his tasteful erotic films. <laughs> Why do I have a feeling they weren't either tasteful nor erotic? He had to stop when his girlfriend, who was one of these what? prostitutes... Oh, no! Yes! Why not? ...got so upset with him that he fled to Mexico and went back to the States. <laughs> 
He handles arguments well, oh it sounds like. Oh my god, yeah, like, if you, if he fucks up, like, his only strategy is move four time zones left. <laughs> in 1959, he looked at a Kroger in St. Louis and thought, I can take it. After a failed armed robbery of $120, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison at Jesus. the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City. Hey, I've been there. To the penitentiary or Jeff City? Uh, both. Both. I think, oh. I think our fifth grade field trip, we went to the, the penitentiary in Jefferson City. Now, what was their goal with that field trip? Uh, it was a tour of Jefferson City in general, so I think okay. it was more like it, we hit the highlights, but uh, I remember none of that because I got Pokemon Stadium that day, and that has uh, fundamentally <laughs> altered my memories of anything that didn't involve Charizard on that day. <laughs> now, finally... Ray was going to be locked up for good. At least that's what they thought. Eight years into his sentence, he decided that prison wasn't really his thing. In 1967, Ray executed a stunning escape by climbing into a bread truck at the prison's loading bay and burying himself beneath the bread. Oh my god. Like the worst Templeton the Rat. Just bread boy. And the the truck left with one extra boy and the prison with... One missing boy. How did that? How was that even an option? Like, at what point was it like? Like, were, was there just an inmate? Like, I'm, I'm just gonna get in with the bread. I can't. It's hard for me to put myself in the headspace of 1967 or this man. It's not so, even like a, it's not like a Shawshank Redemption. Like, it's it's just like he just walked. <laughs> I mean, basically, he just walked out. Like he hid under a box, solid snake style, and walked away. Uh, so for the next year of his life, according to more than one biography, we're not really sure what happens from 1967 uh, and for the next year. What we do know is that on May 4th in 1968, he was in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We know that he checked into a hotel room across the street from the Lorraine Motel. Wait a minute. Which was known in the 60s as a safe place for African Americans in the Jim Crow era. No, no, God, no. Damn it. We know that at at 6 p.m., he was sitting in a bathtub, balanced his rifle as he aimed it out the window of the balcony of the Lorraine's room 306. Martin Luther King. Damn, you son of a bitch. An American civil rights leader who paved the way for a cultural revolution throughout the late 60s was staying at the Lorraine after offering his support to a local strike for sanitation workers. After stepping out of his room to speak with some friends in the parking lot below, King turned his back to his room and was shot dead by a man whose best childhood adjective was smelly and antisocial. What the fuck? Like, this is embarrassing for me as a human being, because I heard the guy's name, like, 18 different times, and I still took me till we got to Memphis in 68 for me to realize something might be amiss. This was, this was a fun one to research, because uh, I, was, I was talking to our parents, and both of them honestly took a second to realize who I was talking about. <laughs> you could have told me the guy's name and that he murdered a famous person and I still would have not got it. Like, this is bad. Uh, we, we, I mean, our education system is not good at telling us who murdered people that aren't Abraham Lincoln, but that's not the point. I mean, we know Booth, we know Oswald, but it turns out not a lot of people remember Ray. Well, I mean, in our defense, we also know Gateau, but that was more because of the dollop again. <laughs> God. That was for the dollop. That was the dollop. This is... Witnesses said that a man matching Ray's description was seen fleeing the parking lot with a large bag. It would be another two months before he'd see justice. The police found that he had checked into the room under the name Eric Starvo Galt. Oh my, okay, his porn name. That is the equivalent <laughs> of, that is the equivalent of Lee Harvey Oswald going on by like Ron Jeremy. And that's, that's, that's his hiding place. Like this is, oh my God. 
Ray knew he had to get the hell out, so he first made his way upstate by train and bus all the way to the Canadian border. Now, once he made it to Toronto, he acquired a replica of Mr. Ramon Snade's birth certificate. Using it, he filed for a Canadian passport. Uh, due to a clerical error, though, Ray's passport was issued to the name Ramon Snea instead of Snade. Oh, well, the plan's off. <laughs> One, why do I have a feeling that a guy named Ray that has been described as a trash baby child uh, isn't passing for a Ramon anytime soon? Now, after about a month later, he's on a plane to Heathrow, London. Less than a few hours later, he would hitch another flight to Lisbon, Portugal. Again, the guy is like jet set. You <laughs> murdered like the most famous person in the world and then just end up in Portugal. Again, I, a person who theoretically has done no crimes that I will, yeah, uh, could not. How? How is he doing this? He is literally an escaped convict. I think the only man who can move from flight to flight this well is the Priceline negotiator. I, Carmen San Diego is jealous of this guy. Now, from there, the plan was to get a ship to Africa, where he'd sink deep into the borders of a country the U.S. wouldn't want to do business with, and he could live out his life as a mercenary. Why does it seem... Now, mm, funny's not the right word. What? What? Why? You murdered Martin Luther King, and your first move is, I'm going to Africa? Like, it seems like a place you wouldn't be welcome, good sir. Right? Like, right? Why? That was what stuck out to me. <clears throat> Go somewhere white. Why? The issue, though, with that plan, uh, one of many, is the passport of his. Now, with a typo in the name, Ray needed it fixed so it wouldn't draw any attention. He postponed his ship out of London and contacted the Canadian embassy to try and sort out his fake name situation. Yeah, no. Now, hey, guys, uh, so how, how do you even keep all your fake names right at this point? Now, since that process takes clearly, you know, more than a mere couple of minutes... Uh, Ray went to find a hotel room to wait out in. He headed to the New Earl's Court Hotel, possibly because he was an egotist and liked the sound of his own name, Uh, and working at the front desk that night was a younger Jane Brooks, who said this of her encounter with Ray. He checked into a room at about $3 a night, which is two pounds for the Brits, uh, and he told her all about his little passport snafu. Pretending to be Ramon Snea, uh, he gripped... Excuse me. Pretending to be Ramon Snea... Uh, he griped about how the typo... <clears throat> God damn it. Try this again. Yeah. Pretending to be Ramon Snea. He griped about the typo and how it would be a bit before he could get to his next destination. Now, when Jane asked him how long he'd been in Canada, he told her that he'd been there for, quote, quite some time. Perhaps his entire life, even. Now, when Jane heard that, she couldn't help but notice the alarmingly thick southern accent oh he had. Oh my God, no! No! No, he didn't even... Come on! Your name is not Ramon Say. My name's Ramon Sayer, y'all. All right. <laughs> oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Canada. Oh, yay. Oh, yeah. I'm awful at this. I deserve to be in prison. So, now, Ray asked for a little help getting a hold of a UK newspaper, the Daily Telegraph. When Jane gave him the phone number, she pretended to look away and listened in on the call. Quote, I knew it was cheeky of me, she said. Oh, my God. Oh, God, we should have stayed in Britain. (laughs) Listening in, she gathered that he was looking for info on how to execute his go to Africa and become a mercenary plan. Uh, But I'm guessing the newspaper didn't have a goddamn clue what he was talking about. Wait a minute, Uh, what? So he he calls up the paper and, like, is like, hey, can I get the mercenary desk, please? What the fuck? 
What are you taking? Hey, do you guys have any stories about guys that murdered uh, basically saints and then tried to move to Africa? Have you guys heard anything about that? No? Okay. <laughs> from All Canada, right, by the way. Oh, yeah, no, I'm from Canada. No, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of them Quebecos, they call us, yeah. Yeah, I'm ramen. <laughs> Ray went up to his room, and Jane didn't think much more of it until the police would come to her much later. At the time, she had no idea who James Earl Ray was, much less who Martin Luther King Jr. was. I mean, in her defense, five minutes ago, I couldn't have told you who James Earl Ray was, and I, it's probably not a great thing, And I, but, but I'm going to give her a pass on this one. Ray's stay in London went about as well as you'd expect from this brilliant man, because it wasn't long before he decided he wanted to stick up a local jewelry store. I heard you say brilliant in, like, a sarcastic tone. The dude murdered, like, the second most famous dude in America and then deuced. That's not easy. He broke out of jail, murdered a civil rights hero, and then deuced to England. That that takes some skills. It does take skills, but at the same time, if if from childhood you're just destined to be a smelly man, you might as well get good at one thing. I mean, apparently that thing is, is grifting. Yeah. Valerie Goldston daughter of the one of the shop's owners, recalled the day vividly in a story with the BBC. Ray had come in somewhere around the end of May, and without a second thought, brandished a pistol. Oh, Quote, yeah. he was clearly American, Valerie said. <laughs> now, I have, I, I'm trying to imagine <sighs> what she is referring to. That might be referring to the gun, Mm-mm. but maybe they figured it out when he didn't hang up his peacoat. And he shouted, all right, y'all. <laughs> I was about to say, what do you mean? Of course he was American. He came in like Yosemite fucking Sam. <laughs> like, I imagine him with the hat and the mustache. And he's just pew, pew, pew. Here we go. When Ray began demanding that the couple get into the back room, Valerie's father didn't even believe he was being robbed. <laughs> His wife, however, wasn't about to take any of that improper rubbish. So she rushed at him, Valerie said. And in the chaos that followed, Ray's gun was knocked out of his hands. On top of that, Ray had chosen to rob the one jewelry store that had just installed a brand new security alarm. He's so dumb! How did he manage all of this? Triggering it with his foot, Valerie's father sounded the alarm and Ray got his dumb ass out of there. When later spoken to by police, Valerie's father refused to believe that the would-be robber was the man who killed Dr. King. Well, then no, again, because again, it sounds like a cartoon. I just like that this man refuses to believe a lot of things. He did refuse to believe he was being robbed while a man with a gun was in the building. So yeah, he is. He's, he, he just may be a incredulous individual. I feel like he's responding to everything with a with a good old harumph. Uh, I mean, in his defense, they made it through. They made it through the blitz. He's 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 his lip <laughs> is the stiffest it could possibly be. Ten years later, when the U.S. House of Representatives was investigating the possibility of a conspiracy to kill Dr. King, two men in black suits showed up at her father's door. Uh, when they asked him to come with for an interview, he refused. Just, just come on, dude. Like, I get it, but, like, he can't be bothered. Like, he is the equivalent of the uh, guy on every Law & Order episode that's, like, too busy to talk to the cops. Like, <laughs> nope, gotta move my boxes. The man is really busy with his loading duck job and is extremely yeah. unhelpful to the police. Nope, Very, nope, like, so- aggressive about it, yeah. too. Hey, so uh, you may have information about the guy that murdered the most famous guy in the world. You heard about that? Nope, just gotta move my stuff. Can't talk now. Bye. I'm like, <laughs> I am the shop owner. I literally could leave whenever I want to, but nope. On Saturday, June 8th, uh, Ray was making his way through the Heathrow Airport for a flight to Brussels. As he passed through the lines to get onto his plane, though, he was caught in the gaze of a British hero, an airport security agent. John claude Van Damme. 
mean, an airport security agent. He's on his way to Brussels. That's the only guy I know from Brussels. Named Kenneth Human. Okay. All right. Kenneth Human. The guards... When you say uh, human, are off- you are, is his name literally Kenneth and then the word human? Mm-hmm. Okay. The guards would often watch the line to gauge any potential delays or hiccups because if one person got slow, the line would back up all the way to the front door. Now, Ray, who was very tall and darkly dressed, made for an easy focal point to gauge how fast the line was moving. When Ray got to the front of his line, he was the first person who didn't have his passport immediately ready. So that was strike one for Kenneth Human, who was definitely an actual person. Not an alien in human clothes. Definitely not. Human, the real person, who was not an android designed by the British government to catch terrorists, noticed that within Ray's wallet was a second Canadian passport. Wanting to know why he'd have two, Human engaged his interrogation protocols and asked, What's up with that? <laughs> no, it was British. I'm pretty sure it was. Chip, chip, bear. <laughs> Dip, dip, dip. Notice you got d- double blues in your fold. Want it to you? I think I, I was vaguely Australian what I did. I was about to say, it's not... I mean, we, we we commented on it in a previous episode that we can't do accents, and yet we've been doing nothing but accents this episode. We really should have taken it's our not, own advice. Well, look, it's not going to stop us from trying. It's not... No, you're right. Only practice, practice, practice. While Ray tried to explain that the second one was to fix a typo, he was quickly pulled aside by a special officer that was working with Human that day. Now, from there... <laughs> special would officer, up... definitely not an alien? Special officer man. Now, Ray would end up on the first flight back to America, and the manhunt was over. So mm-hmm. so they identified him. They, they, they just found yeah. out. So how did they know yeah. who he was? Well, I would. they had a special agent at the airport, which I'm guessing that guy was in the loop. Like, I'm assuming the special agent was in the loop on, hey, keep an eye out for a, a weirdo. But the weird, um, thing is, the, the weird thing here is, too, is that he had a legitimate excuse for having two passports. Like, it's not that he had two passports and they were different names. He genuinely had a fuck-up on his first passport. Now, that's because he's making up names and it's easy to have typos when you're doing that. But still. And I think the issue here is... Like, this was a pre-9-11 society. People are just moving in one after the other. Nobody's paying attention to who you are. The yeah. minute you have to stop to discuss your double passport situation, and you're not just tipping your bowler and strutting on by, then they have a minute to recognize, uh, maybe this guy's More importantly, goddamn, yeah, pre-9-11. Like, I have to take my pants off to get on an airplane now, <laughs> and I, I think, shit, this was like everybody in a cattle car just on their way to the plane, and they managed to spot this guy. Good work, Mr. Human. Definitely, definitely not an android from the future. Definitely not. Once he was back in the U.S., Ray almost immediately pled guilty to killing King. Now, what's fun about Ray is that just as soon as he gave the plea and was given a 99-year sentence, he wanted to dial it back. Ray began to insist that it was actually a conspiracy Uh, and that he had been framed for killing King by members of the U.S. government. I mean, now here's the thing. The guy might be the stupidest person I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying... I'm honestly... I never considered that it was a conspiracy. But if your statement to me is, this moron just happened to get, like, assassin-level good, I mean, they might not have... He might have a case. There might be a point. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But we'll, we'll get to it. Ray was desperate for a chance to tell his side of the story before too long. So, when a journalist at Playboy agreed to interview him... God, so they were interviewing him about his porn career, right? It, was, it had nothing to do with the King thing. They wanted background <laughs> on G- Eric Galt's porno, like the, 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 that Mexican porno that, that no one could get their hands on. He thought this was his chance to, to really get the truth out there. His interview involved a polygraph. 
and nearly 30 pages of coverage in the magazine. I read this whole interview, by the way. Wait, it's is Playboy 30 pages ride. long? Back in the day, it was a giant Jeez, publication. It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica with, like, tits in the middle? What the fuck? And they were not small magazines that we're used to today. Like, like they no, were, the I don't know. No, the were huge. They were out there. They were Two massive. feet tall, one feet wide. Yeah, Three it was... pages of Bush. Just, it was out. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> He wasn't keen on discussing the likes of Lee Harvey Oswald and became frustrated when the journalist kept trying to compare him to the assassin. Now, the whole aim of the interview was to prove his innocence, after all, uh, you know, so he could provide some details to make sense of it all. The whole aim of the Playboy interview was to prove his innocence, not the whole, you know, trial thing. Nah, nah, we'll save this for Playboy. (laughs) Rather than being anywhere near the scene of the crime, Ray said, he was simply driving his white Mustang around Memphis on the day of King's assassination. Now, hearing a description of the killer read aloud on the radio, Ray realized that they must have been talk. the man they were talking about sounded an awful lot like him. So, <laughs> Ray said, that sounds like me! Oh no! I better get to Portugal! <laughs> so, Ray said... He ditched the white Mustang, insisting on keeping that detail in both sentences of his story. My white Mustang, want to make sure y'all know I have that. White Mustang, thank you. White, very white Mustang I had that day. White. And made his way to Toronto by bus and train. From there, the story remains largely the same. Now, as far as the guilty plea, Ray said that that was because his lawyer had coerced him into it. Of course it was. God damn it. So wait a minute. So his excuse is... The guy that killed Martin Luther King kind of looks like me. I'm going to flee the country. Mm-hmm. Like, God, well, that's like, what you do when dude, you're innocent. Like, I get it, but holy shit. Like, how much does he have to look like you? Like, the well, Unabomber's look, a white guy. I'm a white guy. I didn't flee the country. <laughs> like, fuck. I mean, Nathan, when the Zodiac killings were happened, they just grabbed the nearest white guy that had a crew cut, and they, they tried to arrest all of them, I just mean, in an effort to get him off the street. I'm pretty sure crew cut white guys in this, I mean, I, Ted Cruz? Was it Ted Cruz? Was Or was it his dad? Which one of them <laughs> was, was the Zodiac killer? It was killer? Ted Cruz. It was allegedly, Ted Cruz. Allegedly, 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 I don't want to go to jail. Which one was the Zodiac killer? <laughs> Nathan, if we can go to jail for saying Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer, everybody on Tumblr is getting a sub today. Also the president of the United States, but no big deal. Moving on. By the way, I really, really like the, the, the sentence that his lawyer and the cops coerced him into saying he was guilty. <laughs> into saying, I mean, how long was he on the run? Like, how long between when Martin Luther King it got was, assassinated and they caught him? It was within the year. But still, it was within that's the a year long that they got time. Him. Like, how many assassins get away that long? Not a lot. Not a Not lot. A lot. So, like, I'm seeing it. All right. I can get it. Like, yeah, we need to, we need to arrest somebody for this so that, you know, freaking people don't think, all right, I got my tinfoil hat on. I'm ready to ride. All right, let's go. Let's go, James. What happened? Tell me the real story, I fl- James. I fled from every corner of the globe to escape this injustice, and now you think I'm going to squeal because you got me in a cage? Fat chance. We'll give you this new pair of blue jeans. All right. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> Just give me those pants. Give him the pants. He's a sucker for a now, good wh- pair of pants and some bread. Now, while the pretense of the interview was to convince everyone that he was innocent, it kind of did the exact opposite. The lie detector test that Ray took spiked so hard on every one of his questions that he was practically mocking himself by letting that interview get published. So, <sighs> what's interesting, though, is that Ray spoke to another journalist while he was in prison. Uh, William Bradford Huey uh, approached Ray in 1970, and by that point, 
Huey had an impressive reputation. A short while after Emmett Till was brutally murdered by a bunch of spineless, you know, assholes, Huey managed to get an interview with two of the guys. So, so hold on. And so, after- so, so, so there's a Huey, a Huey, and he's a, he's he's a he's a reporter. Yep. So. There's a Huey Lewis in the news joke in there somewhere, and I just wanted people to know that I was working on it. I, I can't get there on my own, but I wanted you to know that I recognized that. Don't worry. Every 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 episode, we're getting stronger. After getting them to admit to the killing in his story, the guilty sentence that they managed to avoid in front of an all-white jury uh, reared its ugly head again. So this guy, Huey, is a badass journalist. You know, he's digging up the racists, and he's getting them behind bars. He's the Geraldo Rivera of 1960. Kick-ass reporter. Actually, I think uh, Aldo Rivera and, may have been reporting in 1960, so he was just a guy. Now, when he interviewed Ray, he used his reporter vision to zap those stupid lies out of him. I, I so feel, start, so I feel like you've been I feel like you've been taking journalism classes for too long, and I feel like this is explaining a whole lot of of what they're teaching you there. I, the only reason I might not pursue it as a career is because my training isn't my my sensei will not let me <laughs> learn the final techniques. You don't have the you don't have the one inch punch the five finger death punch down yet. They haven't given you that. <laughs> One day, Anderson's son will teach me. All right. Uh, To start, Ray pretty quickly slipped out a few details about his I-didn't-do-it conspiracy. Uh, And pretty soon, he was answering questions about why he left the rifle in his bedroom with the fingerprints on it. Quote, I wanted to be a famous criminal, he said. Well, just like my daddy. God damn it. God damn it. Ray was convinced that he couldn't be caught even if the world knew that he shot King. And that kind of goes back to the same reason he pulled so many stupid robberies and was caught every single time. He thought he was a lot smarter than he actually was. When he assassinated one of the most influential civil rights leaders in the U.S. history, it was under the impression that then-Alabama Governor George Wallace would be elected president in the 1972 election, and that Wallace and his black-hating heart would just let him free, would just immediately pardon him. I mean... he was. That was, that's not that crazy, like, right now. Like, it's not crazy now. No, yeah. He is still an unfathomable moron. Yeah, honestly, though, the biggest problem I'm having here is that the guy who thinks he's smarter than everyone else literally has a piece of paper for the army saying, you're too dumb to stand in Germany. And that, to me, is worrisome <laughs> from uh, a correlation standpoint. Like, you have a report card that says you are a filthy, filthy boy, and a letter from the army that says you are too dumb to live. What the fuck gave you this false sense of bravado, sir? I don't ha- I wish I had his level of self-confidence. Because I don't have anyone standing over me telling me I'm an idiot, and I still kind of think I might be. And he had now, people constantly telling him that he is a goddamn moron, and he thinks he's the smartest, but it, he's going to be president. Fuck! All right, keep going. On June 10th, 1977, the alarms sounded at the Brushy Mountain State Prison, no! just 40 miles north of Knoxville. No! God damn it, where are the bread trucks? <laughs> the maximum security prison was dealing with a fight that broke out among two inmates before realizing that Ray and six other inmates had scaled the 14-foot wall no! with a ladder made from plumbing supplies. God damn it, no! No! Why? A few of the inmates were stopped just short of a mile from the prison, but others, including Ray, managed to haul ass into the Cumberland Mountains. What's funny about the escape, though, is that the alarms only helped Ray get away. With such a loud siren blaring from the facilities, nearby neighborhoods began flooding the phone lines with concerned callers. Because America never changes. God, just 
someone get Ron Perlman in here to talk about how war never changes and we're all stupid? God dang it. Just picture a, a, a fatherly figure just sitting in his living room with his pipe. Yes, uh, police, I did want to report some rabble-rousing outside. I heard, I heard a noise and I, I just wanted to take up some uh, civil servant's time. Yeah. All right, yeah. yes, I'll hold. This is the seven. This is the seventies at this point, though, right? Like late sixties. This is Archie Bunker calling into the. I heard loud noises. I think there may be black people afoot. Do something about it. It was three days before dogs managed to track Ray down, but track him down they did. He was brought back to prison, embarrassed but unharmed. Embarrassed. Oh, whoops! The doodles. Oh, they got. <laughs> they got old Ray. Oh no! I don't, what is embarrassing I don't know how about that? Did. You busted out of that. You are literally the second most famous, the old, the most famous living assassin at this point, and you busted out of jail. What are you embarrassed about? Well, I just thought I was so smart, no one would catch me. Ray continued to moan about the conspiracy for the rest of his life. In the years 1978 and 2000, Ray's theories were investigated by congressional committees, only for it to be deducted that he was the sole assassin of King. Did they ever find out why? I mean, is literally, did he kill Martin Luther King because he wanted to be famous? And that's it. Yes. God. He was also racist. I mean, he had he, he thought there would be a payday for it, was the other thing. He thought um, a bunch of racist assholes would pay him huge sums of money if he killed, you know, Malcolm X, King, all them. I mean, in his defense, I'm pretty sure that's an email chain going around somewhere in the South right now. So, <laughs> the, yeah. Like, oh not, no. not, not saying he's wrong, but just saying, you know, shit didn't get much better. Ray wasn't the only one interested in those theories, though. In 1998, Dexter King, Dr. Martin Luther King's youngest son, oh visited Ray in prison. Wait, wait he's still alive? Mm-hmm. How the fuck did this guy make it? God damn it. There is a photo of the two shaking hands, because in that meeting, Dexter had come to tell his father's assassin that he didn't believe Ray was guilty. Oh, no, 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 damn it. The... The King family had actually been maintaining Ray's innocence for years and argued that any of the subsequent trials for Ray were completely unnecessary because he didn't do it. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not going to say... I'm going to say that I trust the King family more than I trust the government at this point. And that's, that's just a thing that I'm saying out loud on the internet, so I expect the you know, helicopters any day now, but dear God. Ray died on April 12th, 1998. He was 70 years old and had been suffering from kidney disease as a result of poorly treated hep C. The guy that shot Martin Luther King died after Toy Story, which has become the measuring stick of history for this podcast really and is. will continue it really to is. until there's a better milestone in the world than that. But dear God. I was trying to talk to mom about this because I kept, I was asking mom and dad if they remembered, uh, when yeah, he busted old? out of prison. Well, how old were they when, I mean, that, that, they would have been like, extant when that was happening they would have been like doing stuff yeah they, well they would have been seven when king was killed i think so, that's around uh, so they wouldn't remember that when diane when princess diana got got murdered by powers that be all right all right about how old i was when 9-11 happened and uh, lord knows my good uh, lord. personal memories of that are not great good lord yeah that had to be uh that, that i'm sure that was fun god yes how the fuck did your how the fuck did your age group process that bullshit wow all right cool Anyway, uh, I want to thank... Uh, <laughs> shrug, drink, forget. All right, cool. <laughs> try, try not to pay attention mid-September. That's pretty much it. 
All right. Um, I want to thank uh, uh, all the sources I used for this one. Uh, I'm going to start linking them in the uh, descriptions for the episodes themselves. You should have a little tab to check those down at the bottom of whatever you're using to listen. So they now don't have to go to cockandbullpodcast.org.gov. <laughs> I am sad to say that I am going to be pretty much not using that anymore. Uh, oh. I started that part as a as an assignment, uh, but that that assignment is over. Oh, okay. So, good. Uh, did we get a good the grade? The podcast we did get a good grade. Yay! And I, th- I believe I believe I was told that was one of the best ones in the class. So, Damn right. Uh, little pat on the back, everybody. Damn we right. have a thank you. This all. is our first critically acclaimed award yes! to add to the podcast. Did she rate and review? Because if not, she is that teacher is worthless. I'm going to have to hammer her to do that. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to thank uh, Driftless Pony Club for allowing us to use their song, There Were Buffalo on the Ark, off yeah! the album Cholera, like, as our theme song. Cow, that's legitimately awesome. Like, that, those guys are awesome, and they deserve all of your listens and likes, and smash that subscribe button or whatever you do for Apple Music and things. Uh, remember to review us if you'd like. Uh, I will read any review we get. I uh, but I will read more. More specifically, I will read the best one. No, when we Spencer, record next episode, we established you will read the best one. I will read anything. You put it on the internet. I will read it out loud with my mouth hole. Uh, and and I have a feeling I'll do that one time, and then I'll say something horribly, horribly, horribly racist, and and regret that decision. Well, Nathan, uh, what? How do you want to sign off on this one? How do I want to sign off on this one? I want to drink because this is awful, and I, I cannot believe I did not know about this horrible dirt person. And great, awesome, feeling good. Nothing, nothing to see here. All right, racists aren't cool, folks. Next week. <laughs> <laughs>